Hey y'all, welcome to the latest episode of Where All the Ladies At Myth Edition. When this is where I am diving deep into the women of mythology. In particular, this series is focused on the women of the Odyssey. And this week's topic is Eno from queen to goddess. And she is quite the interesting lady to discuss. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am enjoying making them for you. And if you are enjoying, we're going to start with the typical spiel I always do. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by checking out the links in my description box. There are a couple different options there. And if you want to reach out and chat with me a little bit, you can also hit my socials up on that or shoot me an email. And we will, of course, discuss this more at the end of the episode because let's face it you're here to chat with me about mythology and that's what I want to talk about because these women are awesome um and as always by the way I didn't even announce myself my name's Kim and I'm your friendly neighborhood ma- mythological fanatic yeah we'll use fanatic this week that sounds good instead of saying nerd or geek or I don't know, crazy person sometimes, I think, when it comes to mythology. Uh, That's who I am, and I look forward to chatting with you guys more. Let's get started then. So, Eno is a person who, a woman, who came from a, I I humble beginnings, no, not humble beginnings. She was a princess, queen, and then through some fateful twists of her life she wound up getting transformed into basically a goddess and we'll go through that so let's let's talk about where she was from and who she exactly is um so Eno is a figure in Greek mythology and she originated from the ancient city of Thebes her story really unfolds as a Theban legend and there she played a very crucial role in the saga of the very unfortunate house of Cadmus Eno can trace her lineage back to the this illustrious house, right? She was the daughter of Cadmus, uh, who was the legendary founder of Thebes, and Harmonia uh, was her mother, and she was a goddess associated with Harmony and Concord. Eno kind of took some, her, her life took some very unexpected terms because she became entangled in, in some divine dramas on Mount Olympus. Ah. Who didn't at this time, right? Eventually, she married Athamas, the mortal king of Archimenes, and this really seemed like a good situation for her. But of course, as always, there's a meddling goddess involved, and this goddess, of course, got jealous, and she started to set in motion some series of events that led to Eno's downfall. And the goddess we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, can you all guess? It's probably pretty evident if you've listened or read any type of mythology entertainment at all. That's right. The queen of the gods herself, Hera. She was always getting ticked off, always sticking her nose in mortals things, especially when it came to women who maybe had some ties to people that she loved, whether that be her husband or children. And whatever, for whatever reason, and we might go into that later, but basically Eno got on her bad side and... Hera took it out on her, really got involved with her marriage. And as Hera be- kept doing this, Athamas, Eno's husband, 
became more and more crazy and that led him as he broke his mental barriers down to mistake his own son Phrixus for a wild animal and he killed his son. And of course that drove him even further. So consumed by grief and guilt, Eno left and found refuge in the Aegean Sea. And as her life began to really succumb to this watery realm, she actually eventually transformed into a sea goddess and her name became, went from Eno to Leocothia. And this is where the legends start, right? She dwells among the waves and she becomes a benevolent protector of sailors and she helps guide them through treacherous waters and offers them salvation. So when she left Orichamus, uh, the sea became her sanctuary and her kingdom. And it's it's very different than the Thebes that she was, <laughs> you know, born in. So she she's kind of this entity where like, and we'll go deeper into this. I think we're going to go down the, down the rabbit hole a little bit when we break into her biography. But just to kind of give you an idea, Thebes was like a major center at that time, right? And she was from the royal house of that. So of course she was going to wind up married to some like other king. Her whole story though is all about transformation. And that's kind of a big deal through this whole Odyssey situation, right? There's a ton of transformation stories. So we want to dive a little bit more into Eno's life. And we kind of went a little bit over it already, but I kind of want to, I kind of, kind of is the word of the day, people. So I want to dive deeper into that. So she was born, as I said, to the house of Cadmus in ancient Thebes and as the daughter and so you have to see she was a daughter of a mortal man and a goddess so therefore much like Hercules much like many of the other heroes she's actually a demigod so because her dad was Cadmus and her mom was Harmonia she kind of was blessed with this idea of the mortal and the divine heritage right mixed together her early years of course because she was it, she was a part of the royal family marked with a lot of grandeur and of course challenges everybody has them especially when it comes to anybody who had a mythological lineage and her life were very much intertwined with the fates of the gods and the heroes eventually she did marry as I said Athamas who was another mortal and her union with Athamas became pretty much a, a uh, focal point of a lot of discord. Hera, who was always watching and protective of her domain, really looked down on Eno. The goddess led to, and because she began to look down on her, whether it was because of her beauty or the way people like fawned over her, whatever it was, Hera was jealous and she began like doing things to this poor woman. Like, you know, and eventually it ended up with her marriage breaking up after her husband, you know, went a little cuckoo cuckoo for chew and killed his own son because he thought hey this guy this this is a wild animal let's kill him and it was not it was his son Phrixus this really drove Eno into like madness in, in some ways so she ran away from Rokomenus because you know her husband had just killed her son. She's not sticking around. She's not going to stay around for that. Like who? Like what? No. So she hit the road. She went out. She found herself a new place. And it just so happens that that place happened to be in the Aegean. She found herself though, as she was, you know, trying to find her place really at the mercy of the sea. And so in the end, she found salvation there too. And that allowed her to kind of morph into the sea goddess that we talked about. If, if you look deep at Eno's journey, the, the symbology is very clear, especially within the context of Greek mythology. Her lineage ties her to the founding of the myths of Thebes. She kind of is that intersectionality of mortal and divine realms. The sea where she finds her refuge and transformation really is a symbology of a vast and mysterious depths of the unconscious mind. Uh, Eno's metamorphosis in and of itself into Leucothea 
can be seen as a transformation, representation of psychological rebirth and the and transcendence of personal tragedy through divine elevation. So in other words, she went through something really bad and her transformation from mortal into God and into the sea was kind of a symbology of saying, hey, like you can make it through as long as you per persevere and it's going to allow you to transcend to a new level. So embrace in the unknown kind of idea. Psychologically, Eno's character is kind of super interesting to be truthful. You know, she endured a lot of tragedy, the loss of a child, the madness of her husband, and that in and of itself really elicits a lot of emotional and psychological turmoil within somebody. Her flight and transformation is interpreted as a psychological coping mechanism, a way for her to escape the harsh realities of her mortal life and really embrace the solace of the divine or an otherworldly experience. You know, Eno tale is very poignant it really explores the human psyche in a, in a different way than a lot of other places you know it it allows you to really take a look at how people navigate the complexities of grief and guilt and and then at, through that process always and most often look for this this new way of thinking this new transcendence into a new life and her metamorphosis then is even more evidence that when you're in face to face with profound tragedy there is always potential for personal and spiritual evolution so whether it was the lesson she learned as a mortal on the streets of Thebes or as a demigod switching into the goddess when she was in the depths of the Aegean, Eno really resonates with a lot of timeless themes that continue to captivate humans and today and really illuminates the human experience through the lens of myth, which is something that we've talked about before. Like it is ever present and amazing how much mythology still can be tied to our lives today. Though things have changed and we have more modern conveniences and technology, the ultimate human experience is always basically the same. So even though they were written centuries and centuries and millennia, millennia ago, these mythological tales still can be utilized to take an in-depth look at the human condition. And I think that's amazing. I think that the fact that these stories can stand the test of time like that and still hold up true and still be looked at as a way to do that is absolutely amazing. So, you know, no matter if they're full of like mythological beings or whatever that is, they're still viable today. And that's kind of a look at, you know, uh, it's kind of short, like we're not really like, we dove a little bit into everything. I think it kind of gives you an idea of who she was. But since we're talking about the Odyssey, let's really talk about her role in the Odyssey and, you know, why she's so significant. So when Odysseus sets out right from Troy to go home, he starts really getting into a lot of trouble, right? He faces shipwrecks caused by the wrath of the sea god Poseidon. Poseidon was not happy. He was pissed. And he only gets more and more pissed as Odysseus goes on, right? So Eno, though, in, in her role in the Odyssey, takes pity on Odysseus and offers him a magical scarf or veil, depending on the story you're reading, that protects him from drowning. This veil is said to have the power to keep him afloat, even in rough seas. So Eno advises Odysseus to fasten the veil around his waist and swim to safety. And since he followed her guidance, Odysseus survives the shipwreck and continues able to continue his journey. So you can see that her role in this whole story, though small, is actually super pivotal because her intervention really showcases how 
the divinities and the powers that be were really trying to play play both sides right some of them were trying to help him some of them were trying to sink him some of them were like sometimes doing both you know but her role was really the role that allowed the adventure to continue on because if he hadn't had that scar for Vale, depending once again on which story you say like he would have gone down with the ship and the odyssey would have been just like not as entertaining and not as long which I mean, if you've read the Odyssey, it might be nice if it wasn't as long, but even still, you want some adventure if this is going to be the principle, right? So without Eno, he wouldn't have had that. So understanding her role in this play, this play, I mean, it could be, a, it is play, uh, this, this story is really important. So yeah, that's how her role in the Odyssey took place. So that's Eno and her basic thing. And of course, now we're going to dim the lights and grab our hot cocoa and our blanket and call down because guess what guys it's story time and I'm really enjoying doing this so I hope you guys are enjoying it as well so here we go and we're going to tell you the story of how Eno once Queen of Thebes became Leucothea the sea goddess in the ancient city of Thebes, a tale unfolded, woven by the fates and dictated by the whims of the divine. Eno, daughter of Cadmus and Harmonia, graced the mortal realm with her presence. Her beauty was renowned throughout the city, and her lineage carried the weight of mythic ancestry. Eno's destiny, of course, would take a fateful turn when she caught the eye of Athamas, the mortal king of Orocomenus. Their union, blessed by the gods, seemed destined for happiness, yet... There was one god whose envious gaze stared down at her and everything that occurred. The envious gaze of Hera, the queen of gods, had descended upon the couple and began to cast shadows across their marital bliss. Hera's jealousy twisted the threads of fate, leading Athamas to the brink of madness. In his delirium, he mistook his own son, Phrixus, for a wild beast and in a heart-wrenching moment inadvertently caused the boy's demise. The halls of the palace echoed with sorrow, and the once prominent house of Cadmus plunged into grief. Eno, burdened by the tragedy that befell her family, felt the weight of divine wrath upon her shoulders. The gods, in their capricious nature, offered her no solace. Fearing further retribution, Eno made a desperate choice to flee the land that witnessed the unraveling of her happiness. And as the sea breeze carried her tears, Eno found herself on the shores of the Aegean. The vast expanse of the ocean seemed to echo the depths of her grief. It was here, in the liminal space between land and sea, that a transformation unfolded. The waves wrapped around Eno, and in a shimmering cascade of divine magic, she metamorphosed into Lakothia, a sea goddess of ethereal beauty. Her mortal shackles fell away, replaced by the grace and majesty befitting a deity. The sea became her sanctuary and the crashing waves sang a mournful yet soothing melody capturing the essence of her tragic journey. Lakothia, once Eno of Thebes, found purpose in the vast blue expanse. No longer bound by mortal woes, she became a benevolent guardian of sailors, guiding their vessels through treacherous waters. Her radiant presence illuminated the darkest nights, a beacon of hope for those navigating the tumultuous seas. The tale of Eno, now Lakothia, echoed through the ages, a testament to the fluidity of mortal destinies and the transformative power of divine intervention. In the mythic tapestry of ancient Greece, her story lingered as a reminder that even in the face of heartbreak, 
the boundless sea of possibilities could lead to transcendent rebirth. And so the sea goddess Lakothia watched over the waters, a living myth, a testament to the enduring power of resilience and transformation. It's a beautiful tale. Uh, you know, I think that it's something that we all can like relate to, especially if any, if you've gone through any form of grief or loss, like it's definitely something. And, you know, just speaking for myself, like, the, the transformative power of water in and of itself is beautiful. I, I feel 10 times happier and more relaxed when I am somewhere near the ocean or the sea, some sort of body of water. And that's, and I, and, you know, I know there's scientific studies that talk about the ionization and stuff like that. And, and whatever it is, it, I think I'm not the only one who feels that way when they get close to the ocean or like I said, any body of water. So that in itself is kind of something that really ties me to this story. And when I am feeling sad or blue or need some sort of, um, I don't know, focus on something, going to the water is always a great tool for me. So I think it's something that's transcended time, that whole like love of the water and ocean, you know, unless you're afraid of it, of course. And then, well, you know, everybody, you know, that's sad. <laughs> that's all I gotta say because it's a beautiful thing. But for most people, I think that that's kind of the feeling. Anyway, that is uh, Eno or Lakothia, depending on how you want to talk to her. And that's her story. And so now we're going to move on to the fantastic five facts. Uh, we covered a little bit about her a lot, uh, life and everything, but we didn't really talk about um, if she had any siblings or anything. And actually, Eno did have a half-sister named Semele. And of course, she had a pretty ill-fated love affair with Zeus, much back then. Who didn't, man? Zeus was kind of a man whore, to be truthful. Let's and you know the truth is most of the gods were let's just be real so what's so intriguing about this relationship is they had a really a really competitive relationship and in some versions of myth Eno played a role in Simile's tragic demise actually and and that only seemed to contribute to the intensity of this sibling rivalry she also had a mythical connection to Dionysius. So Inno's story really intersects with Dionysius, the god of wine and Reveille. Uh, after her transformation into Kothia, she became a foster mother to a young god. And uh, Eno, in her divine form, played a protective role in Dionysius' early life. So she was kind of like his like guardian, his nanny, you know? And she demonstrated this really unique and unexpected connection between the two of them. And it became something kind of legend. She also, you know, she didn't just become a sea goddess. She really earned this reputation of being a benevolent guardian for sailors, as I said. And, you know, a lot of times in maritime peril, sailors would, sorry if you hear the kids out there playing, sailors would really invoke her name for protection. You know, and her emergence from the waves, guiding ships safely through stormy seas, really added a level of compassion and dimension to her character that wasn't widely emphasized in a lot of the popular retellings, but she was like a protector of them. She, we talked a little bit about her parentage. She had a pretty enigmatic parentage. You know, her father, Cadmus, was a mortal hero, and then he was credited with founding of Thebes. Uh, on the other hand, her mom was Harmonia, who was the guy associated with balance and, and peace and love and all that. So it's kind of this unique blend, as many of the demigods have, this mortal and divine blend realms. And it kind of gives that idea, like, where people are kind of both divine and mortal all in the same breath. And lastly, which I think might be kind of one of the coolest thing, is Eno actually had a cult dedicated to her in the city of Megara. So it was known as the Enoan Mysteries. And there was a religious festival celebrated her transformation into Lakothia. Uh, the cult involved secret rites and rituals, as all cults do, of course. And it was believed that participating in these ceremonies would bring spiritual purification and protection. 
And this really emphasized her lasting impact of like what she, the role she played in you know myth and where she found herself because transformation and tragedy definitely lead to a lot of things. So that's kind of cool. She had her own little like, I guess groupies. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but that's what I'm gonna use, right? So a cult, you know, cults nowadays, when you say the term cult has such a negative connotation that I, I sometimes hesitate to say it because it, of that negative connotation. So maybe it was just like they, she had her own groupies, maybe. I mean, I don't know if that's any better, but it seems pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe my, I might dig deeper into this cult because I think it could be kind of something fun to talk about maybe in the future uh, episodes. And that's it, guys. That's Eno, the princess turned goddess and savior of Odysseus, really, and uh, just an all-around kind of badass chick who through grief and tragedy was able to elevate herself to uh, new levels. And that's pretty darn amazing. We are done with the first couple of women. We still have four more, four or five more, I think it's four more, women from the Odyssey to chat about. And that's going to be happening in the coming weeks. And I'm so excited to finish it out. And I'm working on the next series, which is going to be pretty badass as well. Um, and if you're really loving what you're hearing, as I said in the beginning, you can always support the podcast through the links in my description box to both my Buy Me A Coffee and Patreon pages. And if you aren't really up that, but you like to shop a little on Amazon, click on any of the links of any of the resources or anything I leave down there. Those are Amazon links and could give me a little cash too. And if you can't do that, uh, I would greatly appreciate you just rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast with everybody and your mama that you know that would be or maybe should be into uh, women in history and myth. And uh, if you have any suggestions, of course, or just want to chat or want to yell at me or give me some advice, whatever you would like, you can always hit me up on my social media as well or shoot me an email. I will answer one and it all of everything you want to do to me because I really want to get to know you guys and chat a little bit with you guys, build this community up. And that's it for this week, guys. Uh, I will see you next week. Uh, remember, uh, stay curious and uh, yeah, see ya.